3: Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Wednesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and our producer, Fong, is still here. That's good. After (laughs) a few days on the job, still, uh, you're still here, Fong? Yes, I'm still here. Thank you. Thank you. I am so, so grateful for you. I, I was actually, um, I was in meetings until like 1 o'clock in the morning last night and not doing anything for the radio show or the television show. I was doing stuff for my other life, my community activism life. Um, wow. <laughs> so when you sent me, you know, emails uh, late at night saying that we had some interviews this morning, I was very, very, very grateful and thank you, and thankful for you.
4: You're welcome. I'm glad uh, things worked out. So, you know, who else
3: might be glad, or maybe not, I don't know, uh, Kim Davis. Right? <laughs> We've been following Kim Davis, of course, like everyone else has uh, in uh, Rowan County. The Rowan County clerk has refused marriage licenses to everyone in protests of uh, her religious right, if you will. And I'm going to put that in air quotes. But She's been freed from jail um, now and uh, may return to work under the condition or understanding that she needs to resume or, or give, actually give marriage licenses and do her job, otherwise she can be jailed again. But um, this is actually pretty dangerous, and I'll tell you why, because mm-hmm. I, I feel that uh, there, you know those um, who, who absolutely oppose you know gay rights, LGBT rights and the rights of all Americans here in this country will use her as the next like, you know, Joan of Arc for Christian rights or something.
4: <laughs> it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it can happen. And, and,
3: and the argument will be, and, you know, for them, it's going to be, you know, she's this hero now standing up to the government, you know, for her right to practice um, her religion. But, I mean, we, we will continue this discussion because I think that we can easily break down, uh, you know, this myth that the government is attacking Christians and their right to practice their belief. That's not the case in this situation at all. And, and Kim Davis you know, absolutely broke the law and discriminated against a group uh, of people here in this country and and while, you know, making $80,000 a year. And there's people who make (laughs) incredibly less. Anyway, we'll talk about that at a later time. Our next guest, I'm really excited to introduce him. Uh, He obviously, he's a a man that a lot of people look up to. um, And uh, many, many people, you know, visit the site as well. Uh, He's the editor of Huffington Post Voices. Let's welcome Noah to the program. Noah, welcome.
5: Thanks for having me. I've wanted to do this for a long time. So it's great to actually chat with you.
3: Yeah, Noah Michelson. Um, I'm such a huge fan of, of what you do, obviously, you know, in keeping our voices heard. Uh, and it's such a resource tool for us. So I'm going to start out with one article that, you know, Fong and I came across yesterday, and, and yeah. uh, both of us were like, huh? This is <sighs> new? Uh, um, but the article was about uh, identifying as gray sexual. Tell us more.
5: Yeah. I th- You know, part of the, th- the thing that we like to do at A Voices is sort of a misnomer because I don't think of it as a gay website. I think of it as a queer website and it's for everybody. That's why I love the intro of your show where you talk about LGBT, LMN, LGBTQ, everybody. everybody. Um, and so we have so many more people now who are coming out and they're saying, you know what? I don't think I am bisexual. I don't think I'm gay. I'm not straight. I actually feel this way. And they're, they're using labels and they're giving names to it. So I think some people might be more familiar with the term asexual, which means that you don't have sexual attraction to other people, usually, that's typically what it means in its most basic form. A graysexual is someone who um, identifies under that umbrella of asexuality, but they might actually have um, sexual attraction sometimes to, to other people, or they might be in between having no sexual attraction and having some sexual attraction. So I was sent a video of this young man named Jared, and he identifies as uh, gay sexual. And for him, that means that um, he, he likes to be with men. He also identifies as gay, but he doesn't want to have sex with them. He wants to cuddle with them. He wants to kiss them. Um, but he says, you know, if they left their underwear on, I would be super happy. <laughs> Which I I'm, think is, you know.
3: I'm giggling only because I, I, know, I know this feeling all too well. And yeah. I, I just really couldn't pinpoint it. And at one time, I just said that I might be a little asexual, whatever that means, right? Yeah. Um, and,
5: and go ahead. It's so interesting. I was just going to say because it, there, there's a name for it. And that's sort of something that I love seeing. Two things happen when I publish an article like this. And we run these once in a while. One is that people say, wow, that's me i 've never heard that term before. no one's ever said that before. I thought I was the only one who felt like that, and that 's just satisfying things to you know get an email about that or to read a comment about that. The other thing that happens on the other end of the spectrum though is people saying, This is so stupid, and why do we need to have twelve thousand different names for, for what we are? Why can't we just be people
3: mm-hmm. yeah. I, you know and that's a, that's a great segue to my next question just because. In the year 2015, especially after some great progress regarding, you know, equal rights and the LGBTQ community, I mean, we're finding more and more and more people feeling comfortable in coming out and also yeah. recognizing and accepting that we are a group of of, of uh, diverse identities and, and somewhat complex. What do you think about that?
0: I think that's really true.
5: For me, you know, I identify as queer, but I also identify as a gay man um, and, and I think lately we've been hearing a lot about things like gender fluidity, um, sexual fl- sexuality being fluid, um, you know, Miley Cyrus just came out as pansexual, so there's a lot more visibility and a lot more awareness. At the same time, though, I think for some people, um, their sexuality is fixed and their gender identity is fixed, too. So for me, I've never been with a woman. I've never wanted to be with a woman. I just consider myself 110% gay, and I think that's fine. And I think it's fine if it goes the other way. I really think what it boils down to is that everyone should be able to identify however is best for them, however makes them happiest and healthiest. And I feel the same way about their sex lives, too. Whatever makes you feel good, as long as everyone's consulting, or excuse me, consenting, and as long as everyone um, you know, agrees that, that they feel good is part of it, too, I say do it.
3: I, I wonder, No, I wanted to ask you this as editor yeah. of, uh, you know, one of the largest publications there is out there on the Internet, um, such as Huffington Post. I mean, obviously you get a lot of opinions, you get a lot yeah. of different identities and a lot of different people who come across the site. How do you, you know, how do you stay I don't know if neutral is the right word, but maybe yeah. inclusive. How do you make sure that everyone is, is, is right, quote unquote? Yeah,
5: you know, it's really, really hard. And I will tell you, no matter what we publish, um, we get, I'm not going to call it hate mail, some of it's hate mail, but we get very strongly worded um, diatribes from people. And, and that is one of the best things about our community, I think. And one of the hardest things is that we are so diverse. So even though we all identify under this umbrella, and we're all brothers and sisters, and everything in between together, we have big opinions. And part of Part of being queer, at least for me, is that I feel like for a lot of my life, still to this day, I've been disenfranchised. I'm kind of cranky. And, you know, when, when I see something I don't like, I'm quick to point it out, too. So I really appreciate our readers um, for holding us accountable. And I don't often um, agree with what they think, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a valid point. So I just try and make sure that the site every single day has a real... Great mix of content, and that includes blogs from people. So people are writing their own opinions, and we we share those. And I'll share blogs that people, you know, if they're even criticizing me or the site, I still put that up because so I think that's valid, um, as long as it's not someone just ranting like a crazy person,
3: <laughs> like, you know, or trolls or people who or are trolls. hurtful. Yeah,
5: exactly. You know, because you do have those people, especially on the internet these days. Right. But, um, if you have a valid opinion and you disagree, great. I want to hear it. That's how we make progress.
3: Michelle Meow we're speaking with Noah Michelson. Uh, he is an editor at Huffington Post and specifically the, uh, I'm going to call it Queer Page, you know, the Gay Voices I, I, page.
5: I love that. <laughs> I would love to change the name, actually, at some point. So we'll see if we can do it.
3: Um, I but spoke what to— What do you think—I was going to ask you,
5: Michelle, what yeah. do you think about the—, the, the word queer, Cause actually even a lot of people, we use that word in, in our articles, and people get really upset about that. How do you feel about it?
3: Um, actually, you know, I, when I came out, I was, what, 19 years old back in uh, 2001, and yeah. so the term at the time I was working for Clear Channel, and there were a group of uh, LGBT people who wanted to put together a program called Queer Channel. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, you know, obviously the response back from um, you know, program directors was that it was too offensive and lots of people even including members of the LGBTQ community found it offensive. And yeah. and so I didn't live that time when, um you know, I, did, I didn't experience a time when queer had a negative connotation. And yeah. so as uh, I, you know, I'm growing within my own community and, and, and really coming to terms with my own sexuality getting older. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Queer, to me, is absolutely accepting, it's, it's positive, it's empowering, and it's also encompassing, uh, you know, in terms of the, uh, the diverse sexualities and identities in our community. It doesn't necessarily always, I, you know, you can't identify every single person in our, in our yeah. community as queer. Right. But I like that, you know, it's uh, it, to me, its meaning is pretty solid. It's not also gray.
5: <laughs> I totally agree, and I think I think it is I think it 's the most inclusive word we have,
3: and I also think I do
5: like there's something a little bit radical about it still even. you know right. it, it is a little bit not upsetting but disrupting, and I like that. I like it saying, you know actually we 're not just like everybody else, and that 's part of the reason that we 're so awesome you know right. and and so i, I don 't know I love that word, but I love talking to people about it because I know a lot of people have. Um opposite feelings and, and big feelings about it too.
3: Yeah, and you know, that's been the interesting thing about our progress, our our fight, right? And mm-hmm. and I wanted to get your thoughts here. As we progress as far as our movement goes, I mean, you know, just speaking to Lillian Faderman yesterday about mm-hmm. her book, The Gay Revolution, she says, yeah. Of course we're all different. We really shouldn't be put into one box. However, we have a common enemy and we have to fight together against that common enemy. And we're seeing, you know, yes. We're still fighting that common enemy. And so, I, you know, I wanted, to get, I wanted to get your thoughts about um, how the media plays into the dialogue we need to have that is inclusive when we are fighting against this common enemy.
5: I, I think that's so important. I think even, you, you know, you guys were talking earlier about Kim Davis, and I think, you know, I think people thought back in uh, earlier in the summer that Supreme Court rules on marriage equality were done. No, we're not done. We still have a lot left to do. Um, And so, you know, I am a journalist. That is what I do. Um, I think when you think of a journalist, you think of someone who is neutral or um, objective. And for the most part, that is true. And when we do straight-up news stories, they are. They're objective and they're neutral. But the site itself definitely has an agenda. And that agenda is one to point out, um, you know, our enemies and what our enemies are trying to do. So, uh, I think part of doing that is, is, you know, a lot of people are saying to us, even ignore Kim Davis. Why does she matter? Don't write about her. It's not important. And my response is always, no, it's very important because the second that we let our guard down and we think people like this don't matter is when um, the movement comes back and the backlash happens and we're in big trouble. So, you know, if you go to our page this week, last week, we have a lot of content about Kim Davis. But it's important to know what she stands for. Even more important to know what the people who are backing her stand for. I think she's kind of a puppet in all of this. And, uh, you know, she's got the Liberty Council who's representing her. They've been identified as a hate group. I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, just yesterday, her lawyer was on a radio show saying that her giving out marriage licenses would be the same as giving out licenses to sodomized children. Yeah. And, you know, so those are the kind of stories. That I think are important for people to hear because I don't think she's swaying people's minds. I don't think she's the right poster girl for that movement. But at the same time, if people aren't aren't paying attention, they don't know. It's easy for them to fall under that spell and to think, ah, oh, maybe she has a point. She doesn't have a point. She's wrong, and the people who are helping her um, are really hateful. So I think it's important to, to be objective, but also to to really come out there and and say these things are wrong, and we don't stand for them anymore.
3: Do you, do you have any fear at all that there will be, you know, a ton of Kim Davis, uh, Kim Davis is, you know, popping up out of the entire country?
5: I, you know, I do sort of in in my nightmares, I guess. <laughs> I think in reality, and I hope I'm right, Michelle, but I think that she's just too far to the right. I think she doesn't have the optics that people want to be associated with her. Um, I think the people who are supporting her are kind of, bottom feeders, and I think when people see video clips of her, you know, when she was in the clerk's office, and those two men were trying to get her license, and she said, "Um, I can't give you one, and they said, under whose authority? And she said, under God's authority. You know, it was like something out of a horror movie almost, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that most Americans, gay or straight, religious or not religious, can relate to her. So, I do worry about a backlash, but I don't think it's going to come from someone that far to the right. I don't, I think we've moved too far past that. I hope we have. What do you think?
3: I'm right with you. I really do. I have faith. And a lot of, uh, you know, Americans, um, and, you know, especially those of us who are, uh, you know, I don't want to get all ages, but, you know, who mm-hmm. are who are, who are are actively living, you know, in this time and, and how much progress this country has made. And so I, I, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, Noah, we've got to take a quick break, but I'm having such a great time talking to you. So will you stick around? I want to I ask you a few other questions about some articles that are posted on Huffington Post today.
5: I would love it. So I'll be right here.
3: The Michelle Miao's show continues right after this. Don't go away.
1: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
3: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and our guest today is Noah Michelson. He is the editor-at-large at uh, Huffington Post, Gay Voices, and he's also just someone I look up to so much. Every time I, I go to Huffington Gay Voices, I'm so thankful that there's this page here, um, which didn't always exist, right, Noah?
5: Now, Actually, our anniversary comes up at the beginning of October. We'll be four years old. And when we started it, there was no other mainstream um, website that had an entire page or channel dedicated just to queer issues. So it was pretty awesome. But like we were just talking about, how much change we've seen happen even in the last four years. I think four years ago, at least I didn't think we would have marriage equality across the entire country already. So a lot has happened in four years.
3: Yeah, it has. And and, um, and it seems like it's top of mind in terms of issues that affect our community or even just identity. You know, we're seeing yeah. even pop stars take a, a weigh in on this. You mentioned Miley Cyrus, who came out yeah. as pansexual. Um, obviously, Caitlyn Jenner came out, you know, this year, yeah. which is, still continues to have a huge impact on uh, you know, people and also the media. Uh, sure. and you know, you guys have been covering Caitlin for a while and you you even wrote in an, an, an entire article about Caitlin coming out.
5: Yeah. Um, you know, we took a stand. I had heard we had all heard, I think, the gossip that Caitlin would be coming out at some point. And this was this has been going on for a couple of years. And when this started to happen, it really started to intensify at the beginning of this year. Um and I told everyone in the newsroom that we weren't going to cover it. Uh, We were not going to do any of the speculation, any of the rumors, even when they had, you know, confirmed sources saying she was going to come out. I said, until Caitlin herself comes out and actually says, um, I'm transgender, there's not a story there. And I think that's really important, uh, especially for the trans community, which is still fairly new in terms of how it's uh, representing. Uh, itself and how it's being represented in the media and so I think we need to be especially careful that um, we're really giving them the credit they deserve, we're giving them the right kind of visibility and I felt really proud about the way that we handled that coverage and I'm also really pleased with the way that Caitlin's been handling herself. You know, I don't know how you feel about her politics but I think (laughs) I I would love to see her evolve on, you know, Um, but in terms of I was really worried when uh, she said she was going to come out, and she was going to do this docu series on E. And she got media training. She surrounded herself with some really smart trans women. And I think, aside from her crappy politics, um, I couldn't be happier with how it played out. What did you think?
3: Well, uh, well, you know, I have a lot of thoughts, and, yeah. and you know, of of course, I'm very appreciative that uh, this that this time, this day and age, we have someone you know who's who's a part of that reality series um format since you know for some reason it is extremely powerful here in this country seems to have an, an incredible effect on you know of course the younger viewers but also women and so i think i think that's important to have exposure and it's it's part of the dialogue about transgender lives um it's hard, you know, because the the politics part in Caitlyn uh. Jenner's, you know, politics and stuff, and so it's like some of us have been fighting against these. Uh, the these values or these conservative ideologies for so long that it's hard when when that's coming out of your community. And again, it goes back to this whole thing where, you know, there was once upon a time where we seemed all you know, organized and in, in, in unison. And here we are in 2015, although we've gained so much momentum, we're recognizing that we're really different people. And that's okay.
5: Yeah, definitely. I mean, even, I don't know if you saw the interview that Caitlin just did with Ellen DeGeneres, yeah. and they talked about marriage equality, and it seems like um, Caitlin definitely was not for marriage equality before, and now she seems to be, you know, saying whatever makes people happy, but there seems to still be some kind of, um, she's not quite there. And Ellen was actually on Howard Stern the other day talking about that, and she was talking about, how she's confused about why, how Caitlin can be part of this community um, that's so misunderstood and how Caitlin couldn't understand why marriage equality was obviously the right thing to do. So, so many moving pieces, um, and I think one thing to remember is that the transgender community, like the queer community, is very diverse, and Caitlin can't represent all trans people. She can only represent herself, and we have to hold her accountable, too. You know, she comes from a very wealthy background. She's white. Um, she has a lot of privileges that other trans women don't have, especially, you know, poor trans women of color. Um, so I think, I think it's okay to celebrate what Caitlin has done for us mm-hmm. um, while still holding her accountable at the same time.
3: Oh, I love it. I love it. And just You're just an incredible man. That's why you're there. Uh, <laughs> as, thank you. Uh, as Huffington Post's uh, Gay Voices editor, we're speaking with Noah Michelson. Noah, you know, as we're wrapping, uh, wrapping up the interview, and, and thank you so much for, for your time today, I, um, I wanted to expand on that and, and talk about Stonewall, the movie, which yeah. right is directed by Roland Emmerich, and coming out actually this month later, later this month, September 25th. And so there's been a lot, of dialogue around that uh, film and yeah. accusations that, you know, it has omitted or deleted certain people from the Stonewall movement. Uh, what are your right. thoughts?
5: I have a couple thoughts. Um, I saw the trailer and I think I sort of gasped like a lot of other people and thought, oh, this is not good. This is not, this is not our history. Um, and then I took a step back and I thought, I haven't seen the film. I don't know exactly what transpires during the film. So that's where I'm at right now. I need to see the film before I can really go off on it. If the film is as problematic as the trailer is, then I think, yeah, I think that needs to be addressed. Um I think for so long white gay cis men are the ones who've um you know led our movement, have written down the history of our movement. And also it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what did happen at Stonewall. I mean you talk to different people. We had an article where we talked to some different Stonewall um, Veterans, and even they—you know—one person I think said that it was ninety percent gay white men who were there, and someone else said, "No, that's not true at all." And so, um, because we are not—we weren't a projected class, and we still aren't, to some degree—and because history is slippery, um, we don't even have the truth about our history in a lot of in a lot of places. So, um, I think, regardless, I think when we are telling our stories. We need to be really cognizant of who is being involved, whose face is there, whose story is there. Same thing with gay voices. When I'm editing gay voices and I'm looking at the page, um, so much of the news that we cover is about gay white men because that's who still has power in this country. I'd like to see that change. So I'm dedicated to making sure we have stories about people who are gray sexual, you know, and people who are trans and people who are bi and and Parts of the community that don't get the top billing and that don't get to tell their stories. Because I think that's really important. And if we don't look out for each other and if we aren't raising each other up, who? no one else is going to do it. Because the non-queer people don't care about us. And we have to look out for each other.
3: Oh, my gosh. You are like singing to my heart right now it is everything that I mean I think it's it, it is the sole reason you know for for even us doing this even though you know who, who knows who's who's actually listening to us but, yeah hey, you never know you never know and yeah. and and so you know that's my thing is I mean, aside from the film because you know when you when you work on something that's considered art I mean to me there's no right or wrong right. and it's not like I don't I don't feel like when you put a film out there you're trying to speak for the entire community um, but what 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 it did was open up, you know, this conversation that I think we need to have as a community, which is, okay, we know that, you know, a part of the movement, and yes, the dialogue has been coming from white cis gay men, but at what point do we pass the baton on, and, and of course, centralize, you know, the issues that affect the most marginalized in our community.
5: Yes, exactly, especially now that, you know, I think everyone's rallying around marriage equality for so long, and yes, that's so important. I'm glad we got that. But Now, we need to take a long, hard look and look at what do we want to accomplish next. And, you know, it's a lot of things. It's queer, homeless youth, a lot of whom are uh, kids of color, you know. We we have the trans community, again, people of color, women. Um, So many of the issues that we need to address now, HIV, uh, they're just not, marriage equality wasn't the end. And I, th- I, I just want to remind people of that, is that we've got a lot left to fight for. And also that marriage equality isn't what defined us as a community either. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, st- I'm still going to be queer, even after we get all the rights we've been fighting for. Um, there's still going to be a culture there. And I, and I want everyone to be part of that culture.
3: Uh, Noah, last question for you before yeah. we let you go. So you just mentioned that Huffington Post Gay Voices will celebrate, you know, four years. Um, yeah. What do you think the next four years will look like? especially for queer media?
5: That's such a great question. And I think, number one, we don't know. Um, I think a lot of people are scared that queer media is going to evaporate because as we do get folded more into the mainstream, they think there's less need for it. Uh, I think that's really not true. I think for Kim Davis and all the other reasons, we still have a lot less to do. And and also, I think we have a vibrant and amazing uh, culture in and of itself that I want to keep celebrating. Um, So I'm hoping the next four years that I can really concentrate on some of those issues that we were just talking about and and really just trying to tell more people's stories. I think even um, as we get more rights and even as we get more folded into the mainstream, hearing people talk about their lives, whether it's their sex lives, whether it's their emotional lives, whether it's what they're doing at work, Um, Those are the stories that people want to hear about. Those are the stories that people want to read. And I just hope that I can continue to have a platform for them to come and tell their stories.
3: Noah, thank you so much for joining us here on the program and taking time out. And thank you so much for all that you do.
5: My pleasure. And the same back to you. I feel like we are kindred souls.
3: (laughs) We super are. I'll talk to you soon. And, of course, please come back on the show anytime.
5: Thank you. Take care.
3: Noah Michelson, everyone, he's the editor at Huffington Post Gay Voices. So get your daily dose, daily dose of LGBTQ queer news at Huffington Post Gay Voices. The Michelle Meow show continues right after this. Don't go away.
6: I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody. And that's just kind of the attitude and the the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know. You know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that uh, gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it. I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club. But I always try to like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it. You know what I mean? That's just always in my attitude.
3: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Wednesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our next guest is Morgan Keenan, who's with the Missouri GSA Network. And he's here to talk about a situation coming out of Missouri involving a trans student. And we've been having this conversation all year long uh, with a huge focus in talking about public accommodations and access to it and how certain states or even schools, yes, schools, um, when talking about our students, you know, or there's, there's a lot of controversy around uh, public accommodation access or even, yes, bathrooms at schools. So, Morgan, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.
3: So, as I was talking about, there's a situation out in uh, coming out of Missouri, uh, uh, Lila Perry, who basically is fighting for her right to access, you know, the uh, student bathrooms or bathrooms on, on premise, the school premises. Um, there's a obviously controversy, as as noted here on this article, about 150 students at Hillsboro High School stage a walkout. Uh, let's talk about the situation.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to put into context um, where like where Hillsboro is. Um, so it's about 45 minutes to an hour south of St. Louis, and um, you know there's not a whole lot of metropolitan areas other than that around, and um, uh, it's a pretty rural community and so um last Monday there was um I think the news reported that there was about two hundred students that actually walked out, um peers um and students in the um the Hultzboro school district um to actually protest uh, Lila using the bathroom. So um and we had a we had a rally on Friday to support Lila to lift her up and to support and, um, you know, started off with a joke that said, you know, uh, a girl walks into a bathroom and then national media shows up. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how it (laughs) happened.
3: Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, you know, it's interesting because yesterday we did an interview with Kevin Jennings, you know, who has done a whole lot of work with educators and also GSA Network and GLSEN, one of the founders of uh, uh, GLSEN, actually. And, um, you know, he talked about the progress that we've made, but Work that we still need to do, and and of course one of that citing is, um, you know schools just don't have enough education around gender identity. So my, my guess is I'm I'm you know that this is part of the dialogue as well in, in Hillsborough.
0: Yeah. yeah, definitely. I would say and I would concur with Kevin for sure that there's just lack of um, of education um, in a lot of our public schools. Not only at, um, at how are they using the, the Information that they have to then educate their students. So a lot of this is tied into sex ed curriculum uh, or sexual education curriculum that is not inclusive in most of the country. Um, in a, in a similar districts across the uh, way, you know, we've got students in GSA's um, uniting and fighting to have their inclusive sex ed. And in Missouri, at least, people teach abstinence only as a way of contraception. It's really, um, it's really antiquated, and so. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of work to do, and there's a lot of work to be done around schools, and um, I would say that that's one of the biggest takeaways that I hope people, you know, get is that, you know, even though um, there are are places and and, uh, institutions that have come a long way, we still have a long way to go public education.
3: Absolutely. In this case, as far as Hillsborough High School, I mean, it it cites that administrators are trying to trying to make a genuine effort to accommodate Lila, um, but you know uh, using a separate gender neutral uh, bathroom is is not the answer or the solution uh, suitable for lila and so I'm wondering I'm wondering if you know if it's if it's something that uh, we can educate the students on I, I mean hundred and fifty students I feel like there can be a class or something else that the administrators can do for people to really understand understand this.
0: Yeah, I I think that some of the, yeah, you're right. Uh, The school district itself and also, like, administration of the school, you know, like, hasn't, like, been, you know, fighting uh, too hard. I think there has been, you know, some um, misunderstanding about, like, what exactly it is, what we call gender bathrooms. We mean all of them, right? We don't necessarily mean just segregate us out and have us go into the other bathroom, right? So that's part of the, the education process. Then, yeah, you're right. Like, students actually educating each other, and some of the work is students educating each other through their GSAs, their QSAs, or whatever student groups they have, and actually doing that one on one conversation relationship building to educate their peers, right? In this case, I think that some of, it, some of this um, controversy really came up from parents, um, and specifically, when it started with parents going to the school board. And um, I was uh to come down and actually you know watch uh, the school board meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago and decided not to come because they weren't actually letting Lila speak um and that's um really problematic when we think about um you know when we want to talk about young people but we don't want to let them speak for themselves so um you know, we didn't go to the school board meeting that night, but um you know parents of the opposition did and they were very upset about what the school board told them, which is that trans students are covered under Title Nine, that Lila has a right to public accommodation um uh, on our gender identity. Um and that that I think kept sparking some things. People really want to push back when they when they hear these things, um that we have we have rights and um and we know them.
3: Right. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, and there's also what we need to throw out there too is that some of the arguments the students and or I should say at this point parents are using against Lila and her and her right is that um you know that they well obviously there's a disconnect between gender identity and and, and also you know their association with uh, you know changing. I guess what I'm getting. <laughs> It's so hard to, to kind of navigate this because you always want to say it the right way politically, right. but I'll just say it. Well, I, you know, they associate they, gender identity with, you know, with, with your physical body and yeah. they don't understand that, you know, when you identify as a woman, what we're, what we're not talking about is, you know, what your body looks like. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think that, so I do a lot of work with, um, all over the state of Missouri and, you know, most of the time when it comes down to what I need to do with them is one-on-one education. We start off with a slide, you know, much like, you know, um, the gender unicorn, right, where it shows there's a difference between someone's biological sex, their chromosomes, their body parts, and their gender, like you said. So, you know, one of the quotes that got into the New York Times this last week was, you know, I think there's just a big misunderstanding, and, and this is, you know, for the wider Hillsborough community, but for so many um places, even in you know um not so rural communities, have this understanding that sex and gender are the same word, the same meaning and, and that they mean the same things. they've been pushed together and conflated so long we don't know how to separate them. we don't know what to do when we talk about someone's gender um versus their sex, right so yeah, a lot of times people want to have these conversations about um you know um some people's genitals and I just would say, like, those conversations are really harmful in general and um, not not actually helpful and, and doesn't actually help the students feel more comfortable. It actually probably makes them feel less comfortable because um, it would make me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're also talking about, like, a closed school system, right? Like, it's not a very big community. And so, when these conversations are happening, they're happening with people who you've grown up with your whole life. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that is a big part of when we think about education and talking with people we can only move them so far so um, and they have to want to learn too so there's, um, there's definitely a need for uh, more than basic um, understanding to be conveyed within within the LGBT movement to the outside community movement also internally, I would say that our movement as an LGBT movement has also shown that we all't understand and difference between gender. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of started backwards in the fact that we started with talking about who we love and who we are. And um, that's, I mean, if we start to understand who we are as people, then we can talk about who we love and how that's important, you know. But, um, but yeah, I just think it's really important to do that basic level of understanding. And we're seeing it over and over again. You know, I'm talking to a space can't start to talk about, you know, how to empower young people if they don't even understand these basic things around sex and gender, you know, and most of the time I can get through it pretty quickly. A lot of times um, there's lots of questions and people have questions about definitions. And even if you pointed out, you know, there's this desire or need to just do it right or well. And sometimes I think instead of doing it right or well, we have to be willing to be brave and sort of make, uh, make mistakes and be willing to be invited into like doing it better. So yeah. sort of I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this right. You know what? Probably not. We've been like socialized in a certain way, and we're probably not going to do it right. So we had like.
3: Yeah and my you know last question for you Morgan I think we should definitely address you know this myth here that a lot of parents um will use uh, when they're they're against the idea of trans students using the restroom they identify with and that is you know, this myth that um, you know students will be bullied or harassed uh, on a level in which it's like we've done the research I mean the, the transgender students are facing a much higher rate of bullying and harassment than their cisgender
4: peers correct
0: yeah, I would definitely agree with that, and I would also say that you gotta like see that this is a pattern of blaming. So, like, is this not gonna help anybody. Just sort of get into an argument of like who's harassed or bullied more, or whatever. Cause really, it doesn't really matter um, because that's all based on like fear and fear of being bullied. Um, but then we're not gonna blame somebody for being the target of harassment, um, and that's sort of when I see that. Conversation going on, they're like, "Oh, what happens?" My, you know, when a trans student gets bullied, and then you want to cry wolf or whatever. I think that we need to talk to the person who's sort of doing it, not necessarily the person who's being victimized by it. So, so like bullying is a cycle. It's not one-sided. It's not like you are a bully your whole life. It's not an identity. So, when we think about that, we start to think about it. if you are really um, if you are bullied online, you're ten times more likely to ahead and be bullied in school. So, like, there's a cycle of bullying that is not just, like, identity. So, um, people's identities are much more fixed um, than um, sort of, like, um, action. So, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, I've done something in my life, I know, that has been right? mm-hmm. an action that I've done, versus, like, an identity that I hold.
3: Last question for you, Morgan, is you know you're with the Missouri GSA network or the Gay Straight Alliance mm-hmm. network, and so a lot of us have hope for our young ones, our youths. You know, they're supposed to be
4: yeah.
3: our future, and so I, you know, in hearing this and that, there are students actually involved and and um, know for a fact that it's driven you know by adults who are giving them these ideas. You know, right. I it, tell me that you know that, that it's true that uh, that young people, you know, and we can work on this and that we'll, we'll get to a better place.
0: Yeah, I mean, our network is fairly new in Missouri. Like, um, I know that in the country they've had GSAs pop up all over the country, right? And they've different levels. Missouri GSA network is only three years old. So we actually are very youth-driven. In fact, half of our board is made up of people under the age of 18. We have a staff person who's 18 and in high school. So, um, so a lot of our, our work is actually youth or youth um, run even. Um, and so I would say that the majority of our work, at least here in Missouri, has to be because that's where the folks um, that are marginalized these identities are, right? Um, but yeah, I think that they're going to be in the center of educating others. They're going to be in the center of educating us as adults. They're going to teach us how to get rid of some of our adultism because we all have it as adults. We're going to figure out how to move forward Going to be better to tell us and educate us on how to do this better. And I will say that this is not going to stop. Like, youth and young people are not going to continue to happen, so it's not like a, a trend that's going to go away. So um, it's a good thing to jump on board and to listen to these young people as soon as we can, and give to youth organizations. You know, making sure that you know if, there's a, if you if you give and your portfolio and you give to organizations. So think about, okay, am, am I investing um, in myself and in the in things that I need or am I investing in the future? And let would say making sure that you like, do the work, reach out and give to an organization that you care about, that's local, that's user run or user event, that has that real, uh, you can tell when you walk into a space.
3: Morgan, thank you so much for joining us here today and for yeah. sharing your thoughts.
0: Yeah, Thank you so much for having me.
3: Morgan Keenan, everyone. He's with the Missouri Gay Straight Alliance Network. Don't go away. When we return, Fong and I closed up the shop. I think that's what they say these days. No. We closed the house down. We... Whatever. Anyway, we'll be right back.
1: Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome
3: back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Wednesday, this hump day. <laughs> Fong, I think, you know, we've had, uh, we've had some great shows, and, and thank you for all your hard work.
4: Welcome. It's been pleasant so
3: far. I mean, Noah Michelson, again, like, I'm, I'm, I truly mean it. He's like a hero to me. I mean, without people like him and working at these large organizations to get the stories out of LGBTQI lives, I mean, they're really part of the dialogue that is pushed us forward.
4: Definitely, I agree. And it takes more than just one person to ripple the stuff. You know, it's, you know, it's funny though, because
3: he, when, he, when I asked him about the anniversary, I thought he was going to say, like, that's yeah, our 10th year anniversary. And So when he was like, it's our 40th year anniversary, it's like, History is is like, history is supposed to be this thing where you look back several years ago or, you know, thought of as historical and old. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's something to be said about gay history being young. I mean, we're all really a part of history today. Everything we're doing, even those who are walking out there and holding hands if you are in a rural, you know, neighborhood and all that because you're, you're really fighting for exposure of your life. And mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, the local newspaper could be right around the corner. and <laughs> <laughs> You'll be news the next day.
4: Very true. Just like how we, we do our shows, too. Sometimes yeah. we're reading articles, and it's very important to broadcast some of these stories that we don't really hear uh, on the mainstream media. And sometimes it's important to provide some of these platform and, um, you know, some interviews about these stories.
3: So I wanted to get your thoughts on identity. I feel like, you know, I feel like in the 50s and the 60s we focused a lot on orientation. And obviously it was a little, I don't think that there I don't think that there were less people who were diverse in their identity regarding gender or sexual orientation um or attraction and you know and all that stuff. I just think that there was the revolution, the fight For for even gay and lesbian to exist. Mm -hmm. And now here we are in 2015, and we're talking about people who are pansexual, bisexual, asexual, gay sexual, (laughs) gray sexual. I said gay (laughs) sexual, gray sexual. People who are cisgender, transgender, you know, agender. I mean, how do you feel about that being your age, um, just graduated college?
4: Mm mm-hmm. um, In the beginning, um, before college, I didn't know anything about these things. Um, and I was involved with some LGBT organizations, and there's some history lessons about um, LGBTQ history. And then once I got into college, and learning about all these different identities it was overwhelming, very, mm-hmm. very over- overwhelming, because it's just a lot to keep track of. And um, you know, sometimes when we're learning new terms, we're also up and trying to learn the old terms because we can't really you know, fight for what we're fighting for and uh, moving forward if we don't understand our history. So most of the time, it's about, you know, kind of in touch with your community and who are doing the groundwork, all those who are on the streets and fighting for our rights and, um, you know, for justice and stuff. It's just a lot to take in. And for folks who don't understand these things, long process. We're
3: both Asian American women um and we're both you know our parents are South, from Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh you know how do you explain all of this to your family or do you?
4: I I can't find the right words and um sometimes the right moment to talk about these things even back in 2008 um eight um you know when it was super popular back then. Um, I had a small conversation, like, you know, a brief one with my parents, and they were for Prop 8. So they were, you know, uh, they believe that a marriage is only between a man and a woman, and anything outside of that is just, you know, um, impossible. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I feel the same. You know, my mom,
3: Um, I went to go visit her for her 60th birthday, and she is uh, a Buddhist, Buddhist, Evara Buddhism, and somewhere somehow though I feel like some of the Buddhism and spirituality, the meaning of it has been convoluted and lost once a lot of Southeast Asians came here to this country. Mm -hmm. So you've got a you know, and and yeah, I'm just going to say it, there's some corruption to it all. Um, You know, some of these temples need to operate, so they need money. And, and some, some of the spiritual figures do interesting things like tell your future. Oh. And so she brought me to you know, some temple in Modesto, in which the monk uh, told me that, you know, in three years I will be with a man and, <laughs> and my life will be so much better and that would be the only way that I can have children. Oh, wow. So I feel like my mom totally... Gets that I'm gay mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if she absolutely accepts it because when the monk said that you know obviously my mom believes everything they say so she's like, you know yes, oh okay, holy whatever amazing <laughs> <laughs> um, so even even having a discussion about diversity and gender and, and, and identity and sexual orientation it, it's tough to do that in another language
4: very true and sometimes you know you, you can't find the right words sometimes in english i'm like what how do i say sexuality what what is that <laughs> you're like i'm on the
3: spectrum mom yeah and she's like what's wait are you okay do i need to take <laughs> you to the doctor uh, but anyway, I love sharing these conversations, especially with you. I always learn something, you know, new and different from young people. But today, I feel like you know we kind of share similar experiences, mm-hmm. and it shows that you know the struggle still continues. Even after our conversation with Lillian Faderman and her new book, "The Gay Revolution: The, story of the Struggle," we're still struggling, and history is being written today. Mm-hmm. It will be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it includes. Like Jim Davis. <laughs> uh, but the thing to remember this week is that, you know, we're all fighting a common enemy. And that doesn't necessarily only apply to the LGBTQ community, it applies to us as a nation, as a country. Tomorrow is September 11th. We will never forget September 11th. We will always remember September 11th and the terrorist attack in the World Trade Center. I was very fortunate to have visited New York, and so the World Trade Center, uh, the museum, had, had just opened up. And it's extremely emotional.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: We, tomorrow, what we'll do is play an interview from Alice Hoagland, who is the mother of Mark Bingham. And Mark Bingham was on a flight, a United flight, that that crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And the thought was that him and a group of others who were on the plane had actually fought back and took down the plane, and so the crash in Shanksville, you know, was not the intended target. But theoretically and through FBI tapings, um, Mark Kingham and those who were involved in that takedown saved thousands of lives because it, you know, crash affected those who were on that flight, and uh, I have nothing but. Every belief that those Americans sacrificed their lives for those of us who are here today wouldn't have been. And we saw unity in, in during that time. And we fought for these you know, years. We had this idea of fighting a common enemy. And I think at the end of the day, the common enemy is hate.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: We need, need to f- continue fighting that.
4: Yeah. Know? Yeah, definitely.
3: I think that that sums up the show. So make sure sure you tune in tomorrow, at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, for our 9-11 special with Alice Hoagland, mother of Mark Bingham, who's, who's gay. By the way, I forgot to mention that. And so make sure you tune in. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. Thanks for joining us.